0: This time, I'd like to invite any of the children ages kindergarten to second grade to the uh, exit to my right by the piano for what the Lord has in store for you today. And for the rest of you, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Man, I love that. I could just stop and... Go off right after that. That just gets me energized. You are definitely a peculiar people.
1: Some of you are a little
0: bit more peculiar than others. And I noticed from the wonderful song with the children today, some of you are raising your children to be very peculiar children, which is great because mine's quite odd, to say the least. If you are visiting with us, you're coming at a very exciting time for our church. We've been working through Philippians. Our pastor, Jeremy Rennie, is on sabbatical. And, and it's actually hard to believe there's one month left in uh, his sabbatical. So we are, at least I am, very much eagerly expecting uh, to hear from him uh, when he returns. But we've been going through Philippians. We've been looking at what the Apostle Paul has to say to this church that is very... Dear to him. This church that has been in partnership with him from the beginning in the gospel. In particular, we have looked and focused on this central section, a section that started in verse 127, a section that Paul issues a call that we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. For he issues a call that we stand united in the one spirit contending. As one man for the faith of the gospel. And we've been working to get our minds around that. And seeing how Paul over and over again takes efforts to make sure we understand what that looks like. What contending as one man for the gospel looks like. Contending in the face of opposition. Contending in the face of suffering. Contending in humility. Contending in obedience. And today, today we're getting to the final passages of this central section where Paul will be summing up and concluding why he has even bothered to spend all this time talking about our conduct. So I think today is a good day as we have an opportunity to reflect on what we've been talking about for these past six weeks. So turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Philippians 2. And as has been our habit, we're going to start uh, with the verses we previously looked at. So we're going to start with verse 12. Philippians 2, verse 12. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find that on page 1162. Philippians 2, starting with verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends... As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And now we come to the passage for today. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. We finished last week looking at obedience, talking about how a citizen of heaven is recognizable by their habitual obedience, how that our working out of salvation and fear and trembling is our desire to obey the Almighty. And today Paul Starksworth looks like a very concrete example of such obedience, a call to the Philippian church of a way they should obey, do everything without complaining or arguing. Now we know later on in chapter 4 that there was some arguments within this church. There were specific individuals who were having some issues with each other. We know even from what we've been studying that there's a, a threat of unity or at least a potential to a threat of unity that is happening uh, within this church. And so it's, it's quite expected that Paul would claim do everything without complaining or arguing. But this... The command, I think, is quite interesting, and there are two things that sort of came to mind. One was how great it would be to put this passage over everything involving my two-year-old. You know, to do everything without complaining or arguing or whining um, would be just incredible. Obviously, I love my two-year-old, but he is a two-year-old. So that was one thing that came to mind, and I thought that that's probably not a really church-wide application for that. So the other thing that came to mind, though, is how real a threat arguing and complaining is to a church. In fact, we just heard from our brother in Poland how, as he prays for what we can do, how we can pray for the Church of Poland, is in regards to complaining and arguing. You see, threats from the outside rarely have their intended outcome. In fact, the church has spread by the blood of martyrs persecution has led to explosion of the growth of the church so threats from the outside have rarely accomplished what they intended but that bickering that complaining that arguing within can kill a church that grumbling that happens, that results from inner church politics, that results from people pursuing their own agendas, that comes from a lack of trust in God. I mean, that in essence is what complaining, arguing shows. This is not the first time Paul has talked about complaining or arguing. In fact, when he's writing to the Corinthian church, in 1 Corinthians 10, he is using the example of the nation of Israel during their exodus, while they're in Egypt. And he says to the Corinthian church, do not be like the nation of Israel, who in the wilderness was complaining, was grumbling. In fact, That very charge of grumbling, that very charge of complaining is found in Exodus 16 and in Numbers 14 as a charge against the people of Israel for their disobedience. Throughout Jewish literature, when you would discuss the disobedience of Israel, it was often talked about in senses of grumbling, of complaining, of murmuring. Now, why do I bring this to the forefront? Why am I spending this time on it? Well, I believe throughout the history of the people of God, this has been a continual threat. That within a church, there might be complaining and arguing. And that such complaining belays a lack of trust in what God is doing in his church. So if, if this is you, if you have a proclivity sort of to complain or to bicker or to argue, I just ask that you stop. This is a beautiful church and everything we do should be without complaining and without arguing. For it could be the harbinger of the death of this church if you don't. And so I think Paul brings us to the point very, very succinctly in obedience. Because from the beginning of verse 27 of chapter 1 until now, he's been talking about what a people of God looks like. And now he's going to be concluding, he's going to be summing it up, of why. We're getting to the why Paul even bothers with this whole passage. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. There are two groups here. Paul breaks it down into two groups. There is the children of God, there is the people of God, and there is the crooked and depraved generation. There's no third group. There's no third group of people who are kind of in the middle. There's just not. There's the children of God and the crooked and depraved generation. And I'd like actually to spend a little bit of time thinking about, talking about the latter, the crooked and depraved generation. Paul is not the first one to use that phrase in regards to those who are contrary to God, in regards to those who are enemies of God. Moses used this phrase. In fact, Moses used it in regards to the people of Israel. In the Song of Moses found in Deuteronomy 32, when Moses is conveying to the people of Israel God's judgment for their grumbling, for their complaining, for their disobedience, When God is declaring to that generation that is in the wilderness that they are no longer his people, that they are no longer his children, that that generation that was disobedient, Moses calls them a depraved and crooked generation. So throughout, there's kind of been this dichotomy, the children of God and the crooked and depraved generation. I think it's a very apt phrase to describe the world we live in today. What is so evident when you just read the news, when you talk to people, that we live in a world that is crooked and depraved. Pornography has become the intimacy of today. Violence has become the method of today. Lies have become the viewpoints of today. Divorce is the solution of today. What should be abhorred is praised as choice. What should be forbidden is lauded as equality in marriage. We walk in a crooked and depraved generation. And it has always been so. It has always been so that there are two groups. You notice Paul is not concerned about geopolitics here. He's not concerned about borders or lines on a map. He's not concerned about race. He's not concerned about dividing... Humanity into anything other than the citizenry of heaven and the citizenry of the world. It's that simple. You're in one group or the other. One group stands against the gospel, and one group stands for the gospel. So, we've talked a little bit about the depraved and crooked generation, but what does Paul have to say about the people of God? so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault. Now this isn't the first time we've come across this blameless and pure phrase. You may remember the very first week, the very first study we had with Philippians. We looked at Paul's prayer for the Philippian church. It was found in chapter 1, verse 9. This was Paul's prayer. This was what he used to introduce everything he was going to talk about in this letter. Verse 9, chapter 1. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Paul begins his letter talking about how the Philippian church, as a people of God might be pure and blameless. God, with Abraham, in Genesis 17, when he renews the covenant with Abraham, he tells Abraham to be blameless. There's a consistency here of what the people of God look like. The people against God look crooked and depraved. The people of God are blameless and pure. Now recall that this does not mean without sin. Blameless does not mean perfection. Perfection is impossible this side of heaven. So we're not talking about being without sin. Though mark us, that should not excuse our sin. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being blameless. And being blameless means to be found without fault, to not be responsible for causing other people to stumble. That's what being blameless. You cannot be blamed for someone else's fallings or stumblings. Now, we talked about humility. We talked about humbly putting other people before yourself. That is blameless. If you are putting other people And their issues before your own. That is being blameless. That is not seeking your own agenda. And so Paul, when he talked about such a conduct worthy of the gospel as being a conduct of humility, he is asking us to show that we are children of God because we are blameless. Not perfect. The flames. Pure. We are to be pure. Pure means to be unmixed. To have a sincerity of focus. (laughs) To contend as one man for the gospel. The gospel, the advance of the gospel is always our priority. Should always be our priority. And if we are so focused on the gospel, then in the face of opposition, in the face of suffering, we maintain a purity of who we are because we are looking at the gospel, not our suffering. We are looking at the gospel, not the opposition. So focused on the gospel, a church that's so focused on the advance of the faith of Christ is also pure and obedient. When you are so focused, when you are so sincere in your spirit, you obey. So what Paul introduced in his prayer, chapter 1, that he comes now back to in chapter 2, has been that the whole conduct, the whole thing he's been talking about of living a life, of walking, of conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel, has been focused, I believe, on these two important realities. The people of God are blameless and pure, seeking the benefit of others and seeking the glory of the gospel. But why? We've got all that. We've been talking about that for weeks. Why is Paul so overtly concerned about the Philippian church looking like the people of God? About the Philippian church showing in their action that they are truly his people? Why is he so concerned that our doing makes clear our change in being? That we are new creations in Christ, that the Holy Spirit guides and leads us. Why is he so concerned about that? Why has he spent so much time, why have we spent so much time looking at it? Well, being a member of the people of God means we have a job to do. There's a vocation that comes with being his people. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. In which you shine like stars in the universe in which you hold out the word of life. There is a reason we are to be distinct and different from the world. There is a reason that there should be a contrast between the crooked generation and the people of God. There's a reason Paul has been stressing that our conduct should show that our salvation is genuine. And it is because such a contrast, such a difference, such a distinction shows itself in that we are light the contrast being drawn is light and darkness here the interesting reality light and darkness as you think about their relationship I mean on one end light and darkness are enemies light stands over against darkness you walk into a room you turn on the light to beat back the darkness that's why you have light And and I think quite clearly Paul is talking about that aspect of light. I think he's talking about as we stand against the opposition of that which is against the gospel, we are a light standing over against the darkness. But there's another unique aspect of light and darkness. Light doesn't only just stand over against the darkness. It illumines it changes it. Perhaps a crude example. So you have three boxes of darkness. Three boxes of darkness. And into this first box comes light. You now only have two boxes of darkness. It's not that three boxes were just pushed back. No, that first box becomes light. It is illumined. Do we stand in opposition over against the darkness? We stand as the the light that God wants us to be. But we also are the, the light as messengers of God's good news. Our contrast, our behavior, our obedience spreads the good news. There must be a contrast between those who obey God and those who seek the world because in such a contrast those in the world can see the glory of God. We are lights. There was a woman named Nancy Furlong who taught children's church where I grew up. And as a young boy, as a young boy, a member in full standing of that dark, of that crooked, of that depraved generation. As a young boy, as a member in full standing of that group, there are only two groups. There was a woman named Nancy Furlong who taught children's church, who shared the gospel, who was a light. And me... I stood in darkness. She illumined that darkness. I saw in her as a young boy the glory of Christ. I invited Christ into my heart and the darkness was gone. And I became a member of the children of God. We are to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel so that we can be lights. Lights to that crooked, that depraved generation of which we all who do not have faith in Christ, when we did not have faith in Christ, we were all members of. Mm, praise God that he is so pleased to have a people for himself. Praise God that he is so pleased to use To use others, to use us, to use you, to use me, to be like us. You hear a lot of people talk about the gift of evangelism. Some have the gift, some don't have the gift, you hear them say. And they'll present it almost in the frame of mind that if you have the gift of evangelism, well, then you are to be spreading the gospel. But if you don't have that gift, then maybe you serve in other ways. I'm here to tell you. Every member of the people of God, every child of God, is an evangelist. Is an evangelist. Must be. Has to be. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, so that you may hold out the word of life, that you may hold out the word of life to the dying. Check that. The word of life to the dead. We don't just throw a life preserver to someone who is drowning when we give them scripture. They're not just drowning. death. dead. But the word is life. Christ is life. This is why we've been talking about conduct this whole time. This is why we've been talking about how we should appear, how we should do, how we should act. Because without such visible manifestations of the salvation in our life, without those behaviors, there is no contrast between the people of God and the enemies of God. So what do we do? What do we do? It can be a very convicting passage. It can be a very convicting passage as we think about when we sin. As we look upon our lives and wonder, am I that different? I think one issue with sin that shows the difference between the people of God and the people of the crooked generation. You see, when the crooked generation, when they sin, they don't hate it. They don't hate it. Now, they may violate a societal norm, and there may be some pressure from that violation of a societal norm, but in their core being, they don't hate it. But a child of God, when we sin, we hate it. We hate it. Because we recognize we have sinned against God. God. So if you're walking, if you're walking in a habitual sin and you feel that you are just not a light, just confess your sin. Repent. Read the word. Pray to God. Renew your mind daily before the Holy Spirit is in you. He will transform you and you will become light. Praise God. Now I was thinking on this. Passage. And the Lord reminded me of what Jesus said to his disciples. And how there's such a beautiful consistency between the scriptures and within the scriptures. In Matthew. In Matthew 5:16, our Lord said to his disciples. In fact, why don't we turn to that? Matthew 5:16. Matthew 5.16 our Lord is speaking in the same way let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds This little light of mine. Hmm? I want to let it shine. We're ending the central portion of Philippians today. We've spent a lot of time in a very few verses. We've spent a lot of time talking about the conduct worthy of the gospel. And I would like for us as a body to take a few moments few moments in prayer. A few moments as we reflect upon this command of such a conduct to be such a light. Close your eyes and bow your head with me. For some of you, some of you, you know in your hearts you know that you actually belong to the crooked generation. And you've been hearing the word the Lord's been speaking in your heart. And you desire to be a part of the children of God. You know you stand as sinner but our Lord died on the cross so that you might Be a child of God, that your sins might be forgiven. This is you. Praise God, the moment right now is still open to you to confess that you are a sinner, to accept the grace of our Lord Jesus on the cross. This is you. Take a moment. Do not wait. Answer the Lord's call in your heart. Confess your sin. Accept Jesus. For of you, you stood here, you sat here these past few weeks. You've heard the Lord speak through the word about how your conduct should be appropriate to that of the citizen of heaven. And you know there are areas in your life where the conduct is not such. You know that your light gets dimmed in areas. This moment right now Confess that sin. Praise God that he frees you from that sin. And commit your life to a conduct that is worthy of the gospel. You are like the Philippian church. You have been in partnership in the gospel. You have been standing united in the Holy Spirit. You have been contending as one man for the advance of the gospel. Praise God that he has done this good work in you. Praise God that he is doing this good work in you. And ask the Lord for opportunity. For opportunity to be a light. Who are part of that crooked, depraved generation, that we might be <coughs> children of God. It is a wonder. We pray for you that. Help us to walk in conduct worthy of the gospel. Help us to be distinct, help us to be different. Help us not to bicker. Help us not to grumble and argue. But to be united in the one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the God. It is in Jesus' name. I thank you.
1: let's uh, let's stand together, please. My thought was to just close our service similar to the way we started it declaring together our awesome God it is by the power of our awesome God that we can live in the light so if you can find that slide again awesome God it was near the start of the uh, service and we can sing together of our awesome God God erased from heaven on the with wisdom power and
0: love our God is an awesome
1: God our God is an awesome God Love with wisdom, power, power, and love. Our, PRしか- God our God is great. an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. God, an awesome God. He From heaven above, with wisdom, power, and love, our God is an awesome God, our God is an awesome God, our God is an awesome God. God. God God. After the service is over, uh, a member of our prayer team is here, uh, Pat Levitan, and I'll also be here at the front love to pray with you if there's anything that we can pray over for you. Uh, Downstairs in the fellowship hall, there are tables with goodies and coffee on them. Uh, Some of the coffee pots are marked regular. Some are marked decaf. You know what to do. Uh, (laughs) Children are welcome. Uh, You know, bring your kids, and uh, if you want tea, you can go to the window of the kitchen, and someone there would be delighted to help you. And uh, let's, let's go and, and, uh, and hear from Malcolm and Mary and the work that, that uh, we're a part of of preparing church leaders in Poland. And uh, now receive these words of benediction. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his glorious presence with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Go in peace.